Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Franchise entertainment has engulfed Hollywood in the past few decades. And we can be film snobs, but we've got to admit to at least liking some of these extended movie worlds. So join Ryan and I as we get into our top 10 favorite franchises of all time. Time. Time, time, time. <laughs> We're going to go past our medium shot because there's really no context to give for this, except we like movies. And we'll just get right into our close-up. So which one of us wants to start with number 10? Or honorable uh, mentions. We'll, we'll do honorable mentions first. We'll just run down those. Yeah. So we had rules put in by both me and Justin that we excluded trilogies. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Something's going on with my voice today. Yeah. And to be clear, Justin doesn't have a direct say on the rules of this show. He's not a producer. No. But his opinion is uh, our most frequently consulted. He's practically mm -hmm. wrote a couple episodes so I just said, yeah. Ryan and I were in an argument about, okay, what what counts? And I said, trilogies should count. And he said, no. And I said, okay, Justin, objectively, do trilogies count or not? I'm not telling you whose side is what. And he said, nope, four minimum. Okay. So that's yeah. our rule. Franchise is four minimum. It's not like we don't want to add in these trilogies, but I just feel, I feel personally that a trilogy is small is like is too small for it to be called even though it is technically an entire franchise i just feel if you're comparing it to the mega giants you can't really call them a franchise like it's not on my list at all but i would if we were doing trilogies i would have put the godfather trilogy up here for sure yep i mean two of the best movies of all time we can make a whole separate list for trilogies cuz i feel like trilogies tend to end better on on yeah. their own terms anyway once you get to number four things start getting a little weird mm -hmm. usually or sometimes better sometimes weird and better but for the purpose of this list four minimum per franchises although we're also counting remakes and reboots basically just if the ip has more than four entries ever mm -hmm. made it counts so let's run down our honorable mentions and then get into the list. Oh, I don't have any, but I'm sure oh, I'll agree with okay. you. <laughs> sure. uh, <laughs> well, I, okay. My honorable mentions, uh, James Bond. Yeah. Been running for 60 years at this point. I've seen maybe half of them, which is mm -hmm. probably why it's not on this list. I mean, that's still a good chunk of movies. And I, I'm a big fan of most of them. My favorite's Casino Royale. Probably because it was Daniel Craig is the first Bond that I grew up with. Really, mm -hmm. he, I followed his journey from beginning to end when I was a kid up until his last one, No Time to Die. So I have a soft spot for Daniel Craig. Love Sean Connery stuff in particular. Not really all that familiar with the Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan eras of the character. So, yeah, I'm not familiar enough with James Bond to say it's one of my all times, but it's it didn't crack the top yeah. ten and it's number thirteen. So my number my second honorable mention is the DC animated universe from 1992 to present. Only reason I didn't crack them in my top ten is because I think their better work is on television than their animated movies. Though their animated movies are absolutely incredible. 
didn't quite make my list. And my last honorable mention is the Star Trek franchise. For the same reason, I didn't put the DC animated universe. Because I think more of their best work is on TV. I I, was for sure thought that was going to be your number one or two. Truth be told, I haven't seen all the Star Trek movies. I've seen every episode of every TV show. But I haven't seen the movies. All of them. I've seen... My favorite of the ones I have seen is Wrath of Khan. But First Contact is really good too. And I even like the J.J. Abrams reboots. Don't at me. Trekkies, get them. (laughs) Yeah. So because I did my honorable mentions, you want to start with your number 10? Sure. Um, Kind of a weird one because I, it was hard for me to find 10 choices. I told this to Joe before we recorded, but the first five were easy. (laughs) Were easy to mention. Yeah. So the last one kind of, it's just one of those franchises that I grew up with late into elementary school and then towards into high school, but it would, it's the, uh, the hunger games franchise. Interesting. Yeah. Um, not too passionate about it. I know people, this is more of representation of our generation. I would say, yeah, uh, it was, the book was very popular mm-hmm. and the movie was just as popular. I think my favorite out of these four films is catching fire. I think it's, it takes all the elements from the first Hunger Games movie and just racks it up to an 11. The um, uh, cinematography is done way better. There was an, a huge complaint with the first Hunger Games movie that the cinematography was very shaky cam. But in Catching Fire, the acting is better. The story is turned up to an 11. Um, it's almost like... It's it's basically it's this, you know, it's the it's the people rising up against the fascist government and all their wrongdoings. And I think this I do think this franchise does get slept on a little bit because some of its entries are not bad, but a little lackluster, Mm. especially when they were one of the last YA movies to do a part one and part two. I think the trend kind of died with them. Right. And rightfully so. Stop doing that, <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, and it really did spark a few people's, you know, careers. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence was in a lot of stuff beforehand, but this really put her on the map in terms of global. Um, Liam Hemsworth, Joss Hutcherson, I mean, he was well known as well. And just a bunch of, brought in a bunch of A-listers to really help build the world as well. I mean, a fantastic villain and President Snow. Um, played by Donald Sutherland, Canadian icon, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to see his prequel movie coming out in November, if it comes out, Writer Strike. <laughs> it does look interesting, actually. I'll be honest, I've only seen the first Hunger Games movie, didn't read any of the books. I basically have no connection to this franchise. It was just one of those ones where I'm like, eh, I know it's a thing, but it just never... Mm-hmm. Same thing with Harry Potter, to be honest. Like, that was the other big YA thing of our of our generation. I just never got that into it. Never thought it was bad or anything. Just never, like, oh, yeah, I can objectively you get respect it. Yeah. I can objectively respect this and appreciate it. And I don't, and it's, mm-hmm. it's good, but it just was never really for me. I should maybe give it another chance, though. 
But you're right. I think one of the biggest legacies for it was the fact that they split the last part into two movies, which is something Harry yeah. Potter did as well. But at least that justified it. It's so it. funny. I just, Harry Potter started it and then Hunger Games ended it. But it's when like Harry, Harry Potter, Potter did it, it, it and yeah. then it was Twilight and then I think Divergent was going to do it and then. Yeah. In Harry Potter's defense, that book was allegedly huge. The other ones, not so much. I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. It's pretty thick. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't nobody complained about splitting that into multiple parts. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, the there's other franchises on this list which are gonna probably yeah. have multiple parts in them which we can complain about. But yeah, okay, so that's hungry. Whatever things. do you mean? <laughs> so my number ten is Planet of the Apes, nineteen sixty eight to present. And I haven't seen all the Planet of the Apes movies. I'm aware the original franchise had like five movies in it. I've only seen. Yes. And then the Tim Burton reboot. I've only seen the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, I forgot about the Tim Burton (laughs) reboot. (laughs) I actually like that movie. I don't care what people Uh, say. I think the makeup is stellar. Yeah, it looks pretty good from what I've seen of it. But I've only seen the original movie and the reboot franchise with Andy Serkis and uh, uh, what's his name directed it. Matt Reeves did yeah. War for the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'd love the reboot trilogy specifically. That'll almost so definitely good. make my list of best trilogies. But my favorite of this franchise is the original. Uh, Justin and I, one of our longest just dating projects, which we've been chipping away at forever for a long time people followers of my work will remember planet of the beavers which we started in about 2015 <sighs> very heavily based on planet of the apes with a lot of other influences thrown and basically uh, most of the stuff i'll reference on this list you'll see in planet of the beavers somewhere but planet of the apes was the first inspiration for it because it's just an awesome uh adventure story um Really cool ideas about it's it's a great sci-fi uh story, especially in the prequels. I like how the seeing the apes get intelligent and and take over the world slowly and replace the human population as it goes. And uh the original Planet of the Apes has that amazing twist, which you probably know by now, but I'll I'll be Oh, I already spoiled it. <laughs> kind of subtly. But yeah, it's it's great. Um, Charlton Heston's fantastic in the first one. I love the set design, the makeup, the the creatures, the lore behind it's really cool as well. Some of the later ones have really big battles. It gets really intense. There's there's a lot of craziness here. It's just good stuff. Mm-hmm. Just fun adventure sci-fi movies. And I think the first one was made by Rod Serling. Who, who wrote it, and people will know that name as the creator of The Twilight Zone. So, if you've seen the first Planet oh. of the Apes and you watch The Twilight Zone, yeah, that tracks. That he was Makes a sense. big hand on that. I have yet to see the original it fully. Like, I've seen it in parts, you know, clips online, whenever it popped up on cable. Cable, what's yeah. that? Uh, but yeah, that's a good pick. Alright, what's your number nine? Alrighty, my number nine officially became a franchise this year is john wick <laughs> oh uh this was a okay. bit of a sleeper and some of you'd be like 
how do you put John Wick over the James Bond franchise? And I say consistency. That's why it's quality over quantity for me. Yes, I love the James Bond franchise, more so uh, for the Craig era and the Sean Connery era. There's a lot of mess in between, so. John Wick, for me, made action enjoyable again, and not silly, not jump-cutty. It made you... It made people see what amazing choreography can do to help boost a film and just how serious an actor can take his stunts into a film. I mean, Keanu does probably 95% of his stunts in each of these movies, and they're just a lot of fun. That's that's it. They're, they can be dour at some points. I mean, the first movie is about his dog getting murdered. And then his, yep. uh, also his wife dying of cancer, opening acts. So you're like, Jesus Christ, this is a bit heavy. But they're just a lot of fun to watch. It's got so many amazing, you know, characters from all across of Hollywood. I mean, just the first movie alone, you got freaking Willem Dafoe showing up in there. You got, um, oh, he just passed away recently. Oh, the, um, the chauffeur. Oh. oh. I, why can't I remember his name? Yeah, I, I, Sharon was his character. Sharon, yeah, Sharon, yeah, him. Um, oh, I have to say it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredible in that those guy, movies, Lance so. Reddick. Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick. Uh, Michael Shannon's in there, um, and then all the way to uh, John Wick Four, Donnie Yen, Bill Skarsgård, Clancy Brown. I mean, just the list goes on. Just all these giants from just Hollywood over the years. And it just really shows how much both Keanu Reeves and uh, the director are like, Hey, these action films still can work today because if you just have the dedication towards them and just also the passion towards them as well, you can entertain a lot of people just by action Uh, more so than a more modern action franchise that I will not name that has a trilogy that is all named part 10, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and the John, John Wick movies, they're just, they're just a blast, you know, uh, yeah, I, my not meant as about, a joke, but <laughs> kind of is my favorite thing about John Wick is that every installment is basically these professional stunt people being like, okay, so here is the kind of thing we're doing. We're going to do a, we're going to do a knife fight. We're going to do a, we're going to do a car chase. We're going to do horseback, fighting we're going to do gunfights we're going to do whatever kind of action they choose to do for a scene we're a fire coming out of a shotgun (laughs) sure whatever type of action they choose to do for the scene they do their absolute best interpretation Mm -hmm. of that and it's always incredible because these guys know what they're doing they know how to make it look good and Never ceases to be fun watching Keanu Reeves mow down rooms full of bad guys for two hours. My favorite. I love John Wick right from the first one because they nearly make him. They build him up like an antagonist nearly where the bad guys, the moment they hear you killed John Wick's dog and stole his car. What did you do? Yeah. There's also just great comedy in it as well. Yeah. It's it's subtle comedy. It's like, I heard you struck my son. It's like, yeah, well, he stole John Wick's car, killed his dog. He's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> gotcha. 
He's the Bob, the Baba Yaga. He's the boogeyman? No, he's the guy you send to kill the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. It's so good. They build him it's up very well. You're never bored watching those movies. Oh, yeah, and I also love how he always manages to kill guys with the most random objects like pencils, books, playing cards, yeah. whatever. Anything this guy can find is a weapon. Anything. So fun. My number nine, Mad Max. Which mm. I've spent an entire episode discussing before, but this was another really heavy inspiration on Planet of the Beavers because it's the Wanderer going. Are all your picks post. have to do with Planet of the Beavers? <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the Wanderer going through the post-apocalyptic hellscape, getting a mythology built up about him with all the people that he knows uh, that he meets on his travels. Max Rokotansky is interesting because he starts off as uh, a cop who is just trying to keep the world together as it devolves. But then as it goes, he just becomes a cynic trying to survive. But because he was a cop once, he does have that he does have that morality in him where he's like, Ugh, my whole career was helping people and I just can't help myself even though I know it's no good for me to keep getting involved in all these petty squabbles and taking down dictatorships where I find them. And he he always runs into these larger than life scenarios that he's equipped to handle more than a lot of other people. He doesn't really want to do it, but he always just, he, he finds himself embroiled in these conflicts, whether he likes it or not. He's a reluctant, he's one of the best reluctant heroes in cinema. And I love the way Mel Gibson portrays him in the original trilogy. Tom Hardy does fantastic with few words in Fury Road. Charlie's Theron's another great character in this franchise as well. Some of the best car chases in all of cinema. It well, just not car chases necessarily, but just car action. Um, mm -hmm. My favorite movie in this franchise is The Road Warrior. That ending fight scene when they're when they're trying to defend the caravan. That's that's some pretty intense stuff. Uh, try to get everybody out of the out of the town. It's um, it's just got a great vibe. It feels very gritty, down to earth. Kind of, uh, it, it doesn't feel too glossy or or showy. It's just okay. These are guys just trying to survive. Their clothes are in tatters. It like things are <laughs> things are ugly. It's 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 a harsh environment. It's brutal, it's violent, it's it's just top of the line survival movie franchise, and mm -hmm. they're all good. They're I mean, Beyond Thunderdome isn't my favorite. It's the weakest one for my money, but it's still good. Is that Furiosa movie still coming out? I think so. That's all. So. <laughs> yeah, and that'll be good too. That's with uh, Anya Taylor Joy, I believe. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. She's uh, supposed to be younger Charlize Theron. Why is she playing like younger everybody? <laughs> like she's... <laughs> I don't know. Annie Taylor-Joy's fantastic. I mean, she's good. Yeah. I like her. All right. My number eight. One of your picks, but a little bit higher, is the Planet of the Apes franchise. And yes, right. it's more so to do with the Andy Serkis one. But this is an amazing franchise. I mean, it's one of those films that was... uh groundbreaking at the time in terms of makeup and one of the greatest twist ends of all time 
and I do I do know some things about the sequels where, um, you know, they try to do like the modern day approach kind of a little bit in one of the sequels. And I think the reboot in 2009 drew heavily from, I think it's the fourth movie. I can't remember. It's There was time travel in those old ones. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Um, so yeah, drew inspiration from that. Again, I'm not a Tim Burton one defender, but I'm not, I don't actively hate on it. I still think there's a lot of good stuff in it as well. Uh, specifically Tim Roth's performance. I think his entire character and his performance is just stellar, but just the circus movies, man, one of my favorite trilogies of all time. And I really wish I saw all of them in theaters. I think I only saw the first one and it blew me away. I think I tried seeing the second one with my friends, but they were either too busy or saw it already. And then I saw it later on, waited a while to watch war because I just didn't hear a lot about it. And then I watched it and I was like, eh, it's okay. It's the weaker one, but I liked it. Um, yeah, but just Andy Serkis's performance and how he just, the whole performance capture of him just transform himself into not just being an ape, but just a character who just so happens to be an ape and you fully just believe you don't, you're fully into it. You like, yeah, you know, it's CGI, but your brain just kind of goes, yeah, I accept it. And it's, it's, it's well-crafted CGI and it bugs me that none of these movies, the Andy Serkis trilogy, in fact, got an Oscar for visual effects, but they were going up against giants at the time. Uh, so this, I forgot to say, but now that you mentioned it, the Andy Serkis trilogy is the, that is the, those are the movies I compare special effects against. Mm -hmm. When people are talking about CGI, I always say, okay, but is it as good as Planet of the Apes? Because <laughs> what they did with Caesar in those apes is so lifelike to me that I, I rarely see good special effects like as good yeah. as that, like in the foreground. Yeah, I know a lot of good CGI about work is done in the background and for mm -hmm. subtle things, but those movies are very special for having your main characters be CGI for the entire movie, and it doesn't feel like a cartoon. Mm -hmm. It blends as perfectly as you can. They're just, they're endlessly fascinating to me like that. And Andy Serkis is a, mm -hmm. is a master of his craft as a yeah. performance capture artist. It is one of my favorite trilogies of all time, but the reason it's so low here is because I just think these other franchises just as a whole kind of outbeat it. But Rise is a great just legacy reboot, which nobody wanted and just took people by surprise. Dawn is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's just so well crafted. It's beautifully shot too. It's amazing. And then War is just kind of this depressing, <laughs> yeah. depressing movie with amazing CGI performance work. I wish it wasn't called War because there's not that much war in it. But hey, that's just a personal gripe. However, love these movies. We got to meet Andy Serkis. Love him. Yeah. It's not so much war for the Planet of the Apes it is it is concentration camp for the Planet of the Apes with one giant battle at the end. Yeah, that doesn't flow off the tongue, though. <laughs> I know, so they just say all at war. <laughs> My I don't think eight, it would fit on the poster. <laughs> it might, if you had a good graphic design artist. <laughs> My number eight, Toy Story, 1995 present. Okay. So, pure childhood nostalgia. It's... 
probably well it's the first Pixar movie definitely one of the first I remember growing up I've just mm-hmm. I can't even remember a time in my life without Toy Story uh I watched the first two a ridiculous amount as a kid yeah the third one didn't come out till 2010 so I was a little older when that came out I didn't by that point I already in theaters yeah by that point I'd already developed a disdain for rewatching things so I, I don't think I've even seen <laughs> three or four more than once, but one and two especially have a very mm-hmm. uh, a big place in my heart from, from when I was a kid. I still have all my Toy Story toys, which I feel like those are relics now because oh yeah, my old, my old Woody still has Andy written on his boot. You look at the new Woody's and they all say Bonnie for the new movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, I got like one of the original toys. That, like, you that should put that in a box. Just be like, oh. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Well, when you say that, it does remind me of the major point of Toy Story 2 was toys are meant to be played with, not put in a box and preserved. That's true. And Toy Story 2 is my favorite in the franchise because it's just, it's got a great message that way. The mm-hmm. Which I think resonates even more as an adult because now that nerd things are extra big everyone's looking to preserve their value as much as possible keep everything in the box don't play with your toys you Mm -hmm. collect things for their future value which ironically dilutes the value because too many people are doing that now the whole reason these things were valuable in the first place was because most people wrecked them and very few were kept preserved Uh, comic books is the field i know most about in that regard but that's the great irony. Everyone who preserves their comics pristinely now, that's why new comics will never be worth anything. Too many people are keeping them nice. But anyway, Toy Story 2 especially is just, you, you gotta you gotta play with your toys. Don't keep them in the box. Woody's going through all that bit about, uh, you know, he, he gets injured and he's gonna get sewn up and then he's meeting all the other guys from Woody's Roundup. And that's that's pretty good for him, too, because he finally gets to find his place in his community. He's like, oh, these are all other cowboy toys. They get me. And I love the bit in Al's toy barn, especially when they're when they're meeting all the other toys, the the Barbies and the and the guys like the Rock'em Sock'ems and the yeah, and, the, and the other Buzz Lightyear's and they meet Zerg. Mm-hmm. It's it's very memorable. The first one can get pretty horrifying too for for a kids movie. Oh God! At the yeah. end when when Sid's mangled creations and stuff like that, and uh, the third one is you know they're all gonna go in the incinerator. And the I saw one's... that in theaters and watching that I was like, um, <laughs> am I about to see my childhood be roasted alive? Exactly. And the fourth one is um. Oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, in the fourth one, they all have messages, I think, for different points in your life. The first one is like, it, it, well, they all kind of make you feel bad about how you handle your toys. But mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my toys are anthropomorphic beings and I should feel, treat them like people. But the first one is like, oh, well, this is what it's like when I get a new favorite toy and my old one just never gets played with again. That sucks. Like, how would that feel? The second one is don't keep your toys in a box. The third one is, well, crap, maybe I'm getting too old for toys, but now I got to let my childhood go, let some new kids have fun and and move on. And the fourth one is, well, what what should maybe happen to toys when nobody 
really cares about them anymore. Where do they have? Do they get another life beyond that? Even, dude, I was a mess at the end of Toy Story three because that it came out in twenty eleven, which was a transition year for us. Yeah, like I was going into high school, or I was probably in grade eight when yeah. that movie came out. So just like, should you give up on your old toys? I was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't want to grow up. But yeah. I'm a level with you. I, I despise Toy Story four. Not, not as a movie as a whole, just the fact that they made it. And I know the Toy Story franchise, it's more so for Pixar to be like, hey, look at this new technology that we made that we can put into our movies now. That's, that's what it was. Toy Story was the first ever fully animated CGI movie. And then they just kept upgrading their technology. But to me, the one through three was just a perfect trilogy. And the fact that they made a fourth one. What about Keanu Reeves' Duke Kaboom? Yeah, that's that true. hilarious. <laughs> Key and Peele as Ducky and Money. They were funny, too. It was all right. I like Forky. Yeah, just to me. Yeah. The toy with the I existential just... crisis. Am I a toy? Why am I alive? What am I? I know. I, I mean, just like watching the fourth one, I was just like. I thought it was it was fine. Like, I liked it, but I just thought one through three. three. Yeah. yeah, one through three was perfect. Three. I also have like an emotional connection for the first three movies. I'm probably one of the, I was probably like one of those kids back when the first Star Wars trilogy came out. Like, why are they making more? The first three were already perfect. They don't need to make more. Yeah. But now they're making a fifth one. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what Toy Story means to me. It was always there was always a resonant message about uh, the toys you play with and have uh, a connection with. And how you treat those toys at different stages in your life. And I don't even know if it'll resonate with newer generations because I don't even know how popular toys are nowadays. I feel like digital digital things are more That's a good question. prevalent now. Like, do kids still play with cowboy, cowboy action figures and spacemen and slinkies and etch-a-sketches well, or potato heads? Like, I had all those toys as a kid. Well, it's not that many Toys R Us's. So, <laughs> yeah, knows? I yeah. probably from like the really, really young generation right now, but they definitely grow out of it a lot faster than we would have back in the yeah. day. So these Toy Story movies, back they the just day. bring me back to a, a simpler time in my life when, oh, you know, you just you just you play with toys and have a great imagination and go on all these adventures with mm-hmm. uh, with your toys and like in Andy's room. And I always and Andy, um, what? What's his name? The guy who did the Randy Newman. Uh, yeah. You got a friend in me. His uh, his songs in those movies incredible too. These movies are just like the ultimate nostalgia trip for me. Mm-hmm. And I and I love them at pick. the time too. So, all right. Yeah. What's your number seven? My number seven, a franchise that I grew up watching from a young lad to a somewhat taller lad, I guess. Um, is the Harry Potter franchise. Right. I first saw this movie, uh, the movies when they were coming out. I think the first one I saw in theaters and then slowly kept going to see all of them, except for part one, was, um, oh gosh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. And then from three on to eight, slowly watching them. Yeah, it's just one of those, fran- the giant franchises that you grew up with. You got the classic trio, you got Harry, you got Ron, you got Hermione, the three best friends, 
that anyone could have. That's a Hanover reference. Um, uh, and it's just this amazing world that is fully built of, you know, magic and uh, these creatures. There's this villain that is absolutely horrifying. I mean, the first movie, the first two movies, I think, are well filmed for it. You can definitely tell the difference when they go from film to digital between the first two movies, then to prisoner, because the first two movies were done by Chris Columbus. And then prisoner was done by Alfonso Caron. I believe that's who it was. And I think that was digital. And you can just tell there's a bit of a, you know, that the first two movies, it's a little not glossy, but it's not as refined and it's not as sharp as the rest of the trilogy. And there's a more of a whimsical feel to it. And then as Harry gets older, the reality of world starts to weigh in on him and just how all these evil beings um, are just trying to kill him because he's the chosen one. It's just a good way to tell the hero's journey um, tale as well. But also I think it was important in my life because it also helped me grow up. I mean, you know, you're a kid, you're going to school, you don't know the horrors of, you know, reality yet. You don't know what's going to happen in life. So the first two movies really set up well the entire wizarding world and how magical it is, how whimsical. And then for the rest of the trilogy, <laughs> for the rest of the, the movies, it's just absolute chaos. It's absolutely, these people are out to get you. How are you going to defend yourself? It's got some of the best villains of all time. I mean, it's got Voldemort, Dolores. Um, it's got all the Death Eaters, but then also has some of the best supporting characters as well for on the good guys. Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall, everybody's favorite teacher. Hagrid, everybody's favorite innkeeper. It's just one of those movies that if you grew up watching, you loved. And if you didn't love it, you probably liked Twilight. <laughs> I just remember that was the big, like, what's what's better, Twilight or Harry Potter on the... Uh, on the playground. And if you didn't watch either, you were fine. <laughs> if anyone thought Twilight was better than Harry Potter, they had no taste. <laughs> and this is coming from somebody who doesn't, who doesn't really like either that much. I mean, Harry Potter, yeah. I've, I said before, I, I enjoy it. Uh, what I like about Harry Potter is that it's another franchise that grew with its audience. The first ones are very much kids movies. They're like you said, more, whimsical and lighthearted and oh it's like a a child coming into this fantasy realm and discovering it for the first time and he's just wide-eyed optimist and wow yeah i get to go from my abusive home to this 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 great place of of wizards and magic and owls and banquets and games and talking hats and crazy stuff and then as it goes it gets more the chosen one is gonna get killed by the bad guy and take over the whole wizarding world and gotta get the armies of good and evil together and yada 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 and maybe that's why i started falling off of it is because i've seen these big (laughs) these big grand uh build-ups to end Mm -hmm. of the world action before and that's one of the reasons i start falling off of franchises like once it hits a certain point of of stakes I am like, well, it's hard for me to fathom anymore. And I haven't even finished Harry Potter. I've only seen the first five. Uh, Still need to watch the last three at some point. I'll get around to it. I do like these movies. They just. I've also read through for people wondering. I've read through the first three books. I'm stuck on the fourth one. I'm just a terrible reader. 
<laughs> I watch more than I read. Yeah. I do remember reading Goblet of Fire when I was in school. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, the books were the books, books were, good, were amazing. <laughs> from what I recall. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of people who compare it with Star Wars and are like, it's just Star Wars, but with worse lightsabers. It's like, no, they're just both written around the hero's journey. Just like the basic formula for storytelling. People not get this. Yeah. Like my brother has sent me like clips almost every year on the dot of just like someone comparing it to Star Wars. I'm like, I'm telling you every time it's the hero's journey. (laughs) Just take one screenwriting course. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like playing those comparison games because every story that we enjoy has been done a million times before. Yeah. It's just everything you do is everything new is just a variation on the same old tales. They always say Mm -hmm. there's maybe seven, seven types of story and three main stories. It's um, man versus nature, man versus self and um, nurture. Man versus nurture as well. Is it? No. Is that the third? Yeah. One? No, I, th- man I think versus it's nature, nurture. I think it's man, ver- man oh, versus no, sorry. man. It's, it's man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. Those are the three big ones, and then I think oh, there's yes. about seven subgenres. Oh, and nurture is probably are basically sub-genre. everything else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't begrudge Harry Potter for that. So number seven, Mission Impossible, 1996 to present, and Mission Impossible in See, this is my answer to John Wick, basically. I, I honestly yeah. forgot to put John Wick on here. I, I might have if I thought longer about it. But Mission Impossible is my big stunt showcase. To me, this is what action movies should be. Well, Mission Impossible is interesting because the first couple, the first one in particular is more of a spy thriller. It's the most intense stunt in that one is Tom Cruise hanging off a wire and he's you know got to grab his sweat just so it doesn't trip the sensors and that's still intense it's a great stunt to this day but it's a far cry from him hanging off planes holding his breath underwater for 6 minutes doing halo jumping riding helicopters flying fighter jets and whatever he does in all his movies these were basically just an excuse for tom cruise to be an adrenaline junkie and get paid for it which is from what I've heard why he signed on to be a producer for these movies because they wouldn't let him do his own stunts. And he's like, well, fine, I'm going to, I'm producing it. And you can't tell me what to do. Then I get to do, I get to put myself in danger for fun. And it's funny because the first three aren't even really like that. It's not until you get to the fourth one where he's hanging off the Burj Khalifa and stuff like that. That's when the movies really got going for me. Four, five, six, and seven. I absolutely love one, two, and three. I'm more, I got a bit of nostalgia for them. I do like, number two is generally considered the worst one, I think. But even that, I'm like, it's a classic John Woo movie. You got the, you got all the slow-mo, the doves, the the dual <laughs> shot, the, the dual pistols. It's very stylized and it's fun. I don't, I don't care what people say. Tom Cruise riding motorcycles, Tom Cruise hauling ass running like <laughs> across, uh, vast distances it's you know and Ethan Hunt is basically just a cinematic version of Tom Cruise and he's only become more so over time I don't really care because he's a, he's a charming character it's got a it's got a core cast of people who keep coming back and it's just 
Basically what these movies are, they're just, they're built around the stunts. The plot doesn't matter. Because the way they write these things is they come up with all the big stunts first, and then they write a plot to sort of connect those dots. And the plots are always super convoluted, and they don't always make a lot of sense, but it doesn't matter. I think they mostly hold up, but you can appreciate it on that level, or just enjoy the ridiculous action on display, which I think is fantastic because it's created a reputation for its realism. You know what's happening on Mission Impossible is mostly real, at least it's in terms of 4 through 7. And that's because Tom Cruise has gone out of his way to ensure, oh yeah, I'm really doing these things and everybody knows it. You go to a movie to see, oh, is this the one Tom Cruise will finally kill himself? This is kind of a semi-regular cultural <laughs> event. Mm-hmm. Hey, w- is this the movie Tom Cruise will kill himself? Well, let's see. Yeah. Well, he's doing the press, so <laughs> maybe he's <laughs> <Yeah>. all right. <laughs> so it's a bit dark in that regard, but it's just it's just a fun franchise. Some of the best action I've ever seen. Mission Impossible Fallout might be my favorite action movie. It's definitely really high up there. Because just, it's like John Wick in that every type of action you choose to do, they just do it the absolute best they possibly can. And it's way higher than most action movies can even dream to get. Mm. So. I mean... (sighs) It's one of those franchises that I haven't started watching, not of disdain whatsoever, but it's just, I can't find it on the streaming platforms that I have, right. so it's just tough. Uh, but I, kn- I know for a fact if I watch them, they'd probably be on this list. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick. All right. Um, what's next? <clears throat> my number six, almost getting to the top five or not, really, is Indiana Jones. Okay. Yeah. First three movies, you know, I mean, we've talked about all of them, but uh, I just think it's some of the best. The first movie and third movie is some of the best films in cinema. I really love Last Crusade. Love Raiders. Harrison Ford is charismatic in all of them. Doesn't matter which movie you're in. From the first one to the most recent one with Dial of Destiny, he is Indiana Jones. He is a powerhouse. This whole franchise is a powerhouse. Not just him, but the cinematography, Spielberg's magic, John Williams' score. It just culminates in some of the best movies that have been ever made and some of the best moments as well. I mean, talk about iconic moments. Him shooting the guy with the sword. Him and just Sean Connery's banter. It's iconic, but people don't like it. Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys through the trees. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's iconic, but in a bad way. So it's just one of those movies. And I won't talk about that much because we did an entire episode on it. It's just one of those franchises that, yeah, is it kind of running its course? Maybe. But people still go to see them because they love Harrison Ford first. And also they love Indiana Jones. Nice. Indiana Jones is the adventurer everybody wants to be and everybody emulates when they were like i want to be an archaeologist as well and then they buy the fedora they buy the jacket they get the satchel yeah i'm gonna refrain from some comments because it's further up my list number six lord of the rings middle earth 2001 to 2014 well i guess it's still going with rings of power unfortunately i haven't seen that how dare you (laughs) (laughs) i haven't even seen 
all these movies. The only one I'm missing is Battle of the Five Armies, which I'm sure a lot of fans will tell you don't even bother, except maybe to finish off the um, Smaug plotline in the first 15 minutes. Or I hear yeah, that. you can end it there. <laughs> Just watch the first 15. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those ones I was referring to when I was talking about franchises getting split into multiple parts. Actually, I should probably add Mission Impossible as well because they did Dead Reckoning is part one, their last mm-hmm. one, and then number eight will be part two. This is basically, this is even worse because they took a short book like The Hobbit and then blew it into three parts, which I think they could have done it in two considering that the book basically ends where Battle of the Five Armies allegedly starts. I digress. They're still good. These are masterclasses in world building and especially the original trilogy. Uh, motion capture, set design, costuming, prosthetics, and makeup. Uh, action, cinematography. Like, these movies are some of the best cinema has to offer in terms of everything that goes into making a movie. It's, they push special effects forward in a, in a big way, especially the original trilogy. I don't know if movies, well, movies that scale had been done before, but not for fantasy. You don't have entire armies fighting, uh, fighting each other. And, uh, and, and it looks good too. The CGI still holds up 20 years later. In those original trilogy, especially the actors are all perfect. the The dialogue, the the lighting, like everything in those movies comes together as perfectly as possible. Um, The Hobbit, a little less so. They did they did have less prep time on those ones, but you know what? I enjoy those too, especially Martin Freeman as Bilbo. Mm-hmm. They're still fun movies. I think I don't think they're bad by any stretch. I, they entertain me. And now what I what I did learn about them was I don't really love 48 frames per second. I they were yeah. trying something new. Didn't work for me, but I appreciate that they were trying to push the medium of film forward. Peter Jackson was giving it his all there. So these are very innovative pictures. They're also very entertaining. They're Largely, well, the first trilogy, they're largely faithful to Tolkien's original works, so far as I've heard, and they're they're just inspiring to me as a filmmaker, because I want to be able to make stories of that scale that well. They're, They're definitely something to watch and learn from for our craft. Good choice. It is further up on my list, so I will refrain from comments. I figured it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, number five is just a little 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 guy. A little guy from Philadelphia. Rocky. Rocky franchise. We talked about it, did an entire <laughs> couple episodes on both Rocky. I guess I could throw in Creed in here as well. But more so just Rocky, because everybody loves an underdog story. Everybody loves it. Can you take on the big champ? Can you win? Well, it doesn't even matter. Can you win? But can you go the distance? That's all that matters. If I just get one shot, kid, can I just get one and just prove myself to this fucking terrible world that I can do it? And I can. And what I also love about Rocky is that 
It's just his character as a whole. You know, he's not a smart guy, but he's just, he's a nice guy. He's charismatic. He's not cocky. He's not full of himself. He knows what he's done in life. He knows that he was basically just a loan shark or helping out loan sharks at the beginning, but he didn't want to hurt people. He just needed to do something to make a couple bucks and he just wanted to be up there. He wanted to be champ, but he felt he didn't have the help for it. And when he finally gets one shot, he's afraid of it. He's afraid that he won't be able to go the distance and prove to people. It's just this very realistic story of just one guy wanting it all, but he's still afraid to do it. And then the sequels later on, they get bigger and bigger. I mean, some of the most iconic movie scores of modern cinema. It's the main Rocky theme and then Eye of the Tiger. You get some of the greatest villains as well. I mean, Apollo Creed, uh, who becomes a friend later on, but he was a great antagonist in the first two movies. Clubber Lane, Mr. T. Um, You got Ivan Drago. And then everyone's favorite, Tommy Gunn. No. Uh, (laughs) And then you get the Balboa, not requel, but sequel later on in the 2000s. And he's still the same guy. He's just a little bit older. and He just still wants to prove himself. It's just a heartwarming tale about this man who just wants to prove himself to the world. Yeah, it's... I'll refrain from comment again. It's further up my list. (laughs) My number five is Indiana Jones, 1981 to present. Indiana Jones is special to me because it's created by my two favorite Hollywood personalities, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I've said it before, but Raiders of the Lost Ark in particular is lightning in the bottle for me. That's basically all the best talent of the era in one film. You got George Lucas's visionary mind working on the story, Steven Spielberg in all his glory as the director, ILM special effects, John Williams music, Harrison Ford as your leading man, and probably other people that I'm forgetting as well, but just the best of the biz was working on this movie at the time, and they kept that going through uh, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and I even and I even like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, though they do suffer a little bit compared to the original trilogy, but you know what? It's all it's all good stuff, really. It's Indiana Jones is another premium adventure tale. It's great escapism. It's well, what I love about the character is that he's just, uh, he's a professor by day, and he goes on these grand adventures. So he's he's pretty ordinary, but he's just a very smart guy who wants to go out and preserve history. And I feel like he's pretty relatable in that he's definitely more in shape than I am and, you know, can fight the bad guys <laughs> way better than I would. But I also love how, but what makes him relatable is that he, he never gets out of situations easily. Everything's hard for him. It's when he goes up against multiple combatants, it's, oh no, he probably gets his ass kicked. And if he got out, it was just because he got lucky most of the time. So he's probably one of the luckiest protagonists in cinema, but the movie doesn't pretend like that's not the case. He's like, oh, well, it's a combination of skill and luck. So he makes you feel like, you know, if I was a little bit more in shape and maybe a little smarter, I could do this too, if it was 80 years ago and still permissible. (laughs) But um, 
Yeah, so it's it's got strange relics, nail-biting action sequence, globe-trotting action. It's you get to see all these places around the world that are Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just fun. And the action sequences are incredible as well. Um I I like how even Harrison Ford likes them and that's not always a given. <laughs> it's true. So that's saying something about that. I mean, like you said, we've talked about Indiana Jones at length before, but they're just, they're just fun movies and they, they're really good at what they do. Once again, another teaching moment for me, this is how you combine solid character drama and action and entertainment into a package people want to, want to see and rewatch for decades at a time. These movies have some smarts behind them, and uh, that's what Spielberg does so well. He combines some some headiness with entertainment value. And that's yeah. that. Good pick. Um, My favorite here. Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. A uh, little surprise here. Did not see this coming, but my number four is one of your honorable mentions, is DC Animated Properties. I mm. was almost going to put the Snyderverse, but there's it's kind of only a trilogy, and uh, yeah. it's, it's a little too much of a jumble. But the animated properties, they're just so good. They're some of the best like retellings from the comics to on screen. And yes, they're technically movies, people, even though they didn't get a cinematic release. So calm down. Some of my favorite Batman stories. Uh, of all time, Under the Red Hood, Massive Phantasm, movies, animation, mwah, done so well. And then there's the team-up ones as well with Superman and Batman, uh, Apocalypse. There's the Wonder Woman movie that came out around the 2000s. This is really good. Um, Flashpoint probably some Paradox. Is Flashpoint Paradox is, is well done. Even some of the Suicide Squad animation stuff is a lot of fun. Batman Beyond Return um, of the Joker. Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, thank you. That was the one so, I was forgetting. See Phantasm yet? I did. Okay. Phantasm. And I would cheat here and put in the animated series and Teen Titans in here, but I'm not going to. Tower of Babel was really good too. If I could put in there, I haven't seen that. Okay, well, I don't know if it was called, I don't remember if it was called Tower of Babel, but that was the one, or Justice League Doom. I think Justice League Dark or whatever, yeah. Uh, Doom, that was the one where. Doom? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Where the Legion of Doom stole Batman's contingency plans against. The oh Justice yes, League. no, sorry, that I did was, watch that one. Yeah, yeah. that one was really. Good I, too. It's funny, I, <laughs> I had bought like the Injustice Collector's Edition, and that movie came with it. <laughs> so I yeah. got like a free movie out of it, and I watched. it. I was like, "This is good." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched. Yeah, Justice League Doom is a great one. Just some of the best superhero stories told of all time. And when people ask why I defend animation so much, it's because of this. It's because of this franchise, you know, it's just, there's amazing stories told within animation. And the reason I think animation is probably better than most live action stuff is because your imagination can do anything in animation. It can do absolutely anything. You can put anything you want on screen. The only thing that matters is time and money. Animation is the perfect blend between live action and not not literature, but just mm-hmm. just still any kind of still media, whether it's a book or a graphic novel or whatever. It's got the ability to show you that fantasy in 
uh, fluid form, nearly mm-hmm. lifelike, but because it's not real, you can do anything with it. It can be as stylized or as realistic as you want it to be, but there's no limits to it. So animation is arguably a superior form to me as a film in many regards. It doesn't get enough credit. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, before the Lord of the Rings live action, there was Ralph Bashke's Lord of the Rings, and people thought that was really good. Hmm. Until they realized it was only part one, and then they didn't get enough money to do a part two. But that's not on <laughs> the fans. That sucks. Number four, Batman, 1966 to present. This is one of the cheats on my list, because I'm considering mm-hmm. all the reboots as... One franchise. I'm not saying DC is a franchise. One I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying every movie with Batman in it, from Adam West to, well, I guess technically George Clooney again. If we're if we're counting the Flash, that's more Arkham. <laughs> oh God, yeah, to bring up Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Batman has always been around. For me, basically, like I grew up on the Adam West TV show and well, the the 1966 movie, which I think is just it's a camp classic. I still quote it. I still quote it literally all the time. Robin, pass me the shark repellent bat spray. (laughs) Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I think I say that way too much. That second line you just said. (laughs) I think we should leave inconspicuously out the window. (laughs) <laughs> it's all it's all good it's great uh so that was batman in broad daylight that's arguably one of the most accurate comic book adaptations i've ever seen personally i mean you can hate on it all you want like batman's dark and gritty and he's not like that I'm like well he kind of was in the 60s sorry it even has the sound effects on the uh not the sound mm-hmm. effects but the the big Kapow. Biff, pow Every time they punch yeah. the bad guys, the color their the costumes are colorful. Their main the bad guy's main plot is we're going to demoisturize the world's leaders and hold them for ransom. So they're just little powder. Oh god. Basically. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> and, and it's Penguin, Riddler, Two Face, and uh and no, sorry, Penguin, Riddler, Catwoman, and Joker all teaming up and they all get equal roles, Batman and Robin are fighting crime together. Like, it's it's the Batman movie we still haven't gotten in the modern day. But besides that, Tim Burton's version is also incredible. It created that goth look, that gothic look for Gotham that everyone still uses today, that city out of time sort of look where you have the 1800s gargoyles, 1970s looking cars. You have some modern technology, like computers. It's just, it's this weird anachronistic place. And then the even the Schumacher ones I enjoy. They're also they're campy in the wrong way, but I like the visual aesthetic of them. They're really cool with their their neon designs. Um uh Michael Keaton's incredible as well. And then I grew up on the Christian Bale movies. Uh the Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale movies. Nolan's one of my favorite directors of all time. Christian Bale's mm-hmm. is an incredible leading man. But I think the villains of those movies are also the real stars. You got Liam Neeson's Rachel Ghoul, Killian Murphy's Scarecrow, um, Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, I don't, I don't remember who Tom Hardy, Two Face, hmm? 
Tom Hardy is Bane. Tom Hardy is Bane. Who played Two Face again? I don't remember his name. Oh gosh. God damn it. Well, he was really God damn it, well, he's really good. <laughs> he's really it, good too. You. Yeah, the villains in those movies, all superb. My favorite Batman movie though is Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Sorry. My favorite Batman movie though is The Batman 2022. Uh Paul Dano's Riddler. Robert Pattinson's Batman. That's me was is the perfect blend between Nolan's grounded style and comic book heightened reality. Mm-hmm. So what Batman means to me, he he was one of my moral guiding compasses as a child. This vigilante hero who, even though his city was absolute garbage, he still fought crime in his own way. His whole thing was, my parents were killed and I'm going to make sure nothing like that ever happens to any child ever again. I'm going to clean up my city by my own hand, if the police are too corrupt to do anything about it, if nobody else can, I will. So Batman, to me, is a moral tale of do what you can, however you can, to make your world a better place, or whatever you can control. It's, yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be a vigilante about it, but it was always a good story to me and an inspiration of, you know what? Yeah, there's things I can control. Do it. Do what I can do. And don't let the bullies win. <laughs> you got <laughs> things may be bad, but one person can make a difference. So. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, Bat- Batman is very important in my life as well. I just, uh, I would, I would cheat as well and put him in my DC category as well, but I don't know, just the animated properties. You could say DC's a brand, but I think Batman's big enough to be considered a, a franchise on its, its own. His own brand on his own, yeah. Like, if I was talking Marvel, I'd say Spider-Man's big enough to be a mm-hmm. franchise on his own, too, but... Yeah. It's so funny, like, I, f- I feel nowadays people kind of, not forget, but when they are reminded how good the Dark Knight trilogy is, they're like, oh god, just some of the best, like, yeah. stuff that's ever filmed. And speaking of Nolan, I actually just finished Interstellar last night. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. and it's good good <laughs> the hype was real <laughs> it's weird i was it wasn't expecting anything like too epic but it's just this hauntingly beautiful movie i found it's yeah. like i can tell nolan made it but also it's something different from his as well yeah so that's something on my nolan checklist that i have watched um fantastic still need to watch the prestige and memento yeah i need to watch the, the other memento two too it's on prime yeah. now uh, let's get into number three. Cool. My number three, kiting cheating here a little bit because you gave me an idea. They're tied. It is Marvel, specifically the Infinity Saga and the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. I'll get the Spider-Man sure. movies out of the way. They're all Tobey tied Maguire now. one. Yeah, they're tied in. They're tied in now. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Tobey Maguire, I grew up watching, saw all the movies in theaters Spider-Man is just a very influential part of my life, not just through the movies, but also some TV shows and video games as well. Um, And just the Tobey Maguire stuff, like you wanted to be Spider-Man as a kid. You just wanted to be that. So much so that some crazy kids actually went to find spiders and have them bite them. Mm. You just wanted to be that guy. Uh, It was either you wanted to be Batman or Spider-Man. Sometimes you wanted to be both. 
and just the Sam Raimi universe, it just feels very comic booky. It feels like a true comic book adaptation brought to life. Um, a little bit of cheese, but a little, also a little bit of seriousness as well. I think the music is really good. I think Tobey Maguire's theme is iconic. I could just be nostalgic about it, but to me, it's one of the greatest ones of all time. I agree. And then the Infinity Saga is just the most successful <laughs> and the most just well-planned out franchise of all time. I mean, you have the core six Avengers. They're all those actors. But then you have all these other side characters as well joining in and then just all them accumulating to make Infinity War and then Endgame. Some of the best theater experience I've ever had of all time is going to see these individual Marvel movies. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Chris Evans as Captain America. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. The list goes on. Just all the A-Lassers going to this one franchise and then how it's still expanding out just shows how impactful this franchise was. And then it accumulating to some of the best movies of all time with Infinity War and Endgame. Just, I don't know how they did it. Years of work, years of planning, and growing up from when it started in 2008, seeing Iron Man in theaters, and then just a few years ago watching it all end in Endgame. It just, it's just part of me. Yeah. I'll have more to say about that later. But my number three is Rocky Creed. I'm just combining them both. Mm-hmm. Oh Rocky. Gosh, sorry. I hit my mic. <laughs> if you notice the trend on this, I tend to like things that I can relate to in a way. But Rocky is... It's great because it's down to earth in a way that... he's Like you said, he's not a smart guy... He gets his ass kicked a lot in the first movie. He's not even that great a fighter in the first movie. Nope. But the whole point of Rocky is that even when things are tough, you got to go the distance because that's an accomplishment all on its own. It's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get. It's not about how hard. Sorry. He says it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That counts. That's how winning's done. It's Rocky gets punched in the face all a lot. He gets beat up, but he always makes it to the end. He doesn't win every movie. And that's some of the sequels kind of lost that a little bit. But the point wasn't that he was a winner. The point was that he was a fighter, no matter what was going on in his personal life or in the ring. He never gave up on himself or the people who cared about him or the people he cared for. Like when Adrian got cancer or, or she she got sick and, you know, he was fighting with her uh, to try to make her feel better as well. And every it's just it's all about fighting your battles, whether they be emotional or literally in the ring. It's about character building is the idea of Rocky challenging yourself, being better than you are. Those training montages are about him being better physically but it's also a mental game of can i can i push myself to be as good as i need to be and you know in the fourth one he went, he wins the cold war they start bringing it up to like an existential mm-hmm. thing like can, can one man be 
good enough at what he does to end war. <laughs> sure. But they've all they've all got a unifying message in that way. And Creed as well is also but that's more to do with legacy. That's can I be good enough to get out of the shadow of my family? Everyone expects something from me. Maybe they don't expect as much from me because my legacy is so big. How could I ever live up? Well, there's still potential for that if you work hard. Be your own you can be your own man. You don't have to be seen as an extension of your father or of your mentors or whoever helped get you to where you are. You can be just as good in your own right. And that's what Creed tells us. And I think the, these movies give important life lessons. They resonate with me a lot. Nice. All right. My number two is Star Wars. Now, I would have <gasps> put this at number one. I feel like Star Wars in recent years has hurt me more than it's given me hope, ironically. <laughs> but it was the first trilogy, I believe. I would pause for CNE Jets. Uh, <laughs> it was the first trilogy that I was probably ever introduced to and is the, the original trilogy, I should say. And it is the film. It's also the franchise, what I learned, what prequels and sequels were. <laughs> Yeah, because my dad had to explain to me what originals were, and then the new ones coming out were beforehand. And then, whenever my parents were like, "Why are you so obsessed with film?" It's like, "Well, you introduced me to Star Wars, so it's your fault." Yeah, yeah. Just the original trilogy grew up on the prequel trilogy. Just another use of the hero's journey, but again, John Williams score, George Lucas, ILM. Just this magical world, you want to be a Jedi, you want to have a lightsaber. I mean, I have lightsabers, but not actual lightsabers. And just how it's been so influential, not just on the audience, but on the film industry. I mean, this franchise is still going on today. I mean, as of time recording, the fourth episode of Ahsoka is going to come out tomorrow. I mean, it's just, and it's expanded so much. And it's not just throughout the movies. The Clone Wars show has been also very influential on us. Dave Filoni is probably the godson of George Lucas. You know, it's just one of the, it's some of the best stuff I've ever seen put to film. Some of the most magical stuff. The conflict between good and evil. Luke versus Vader. I mean, Darth Vader, one of the most iconic villains of all time. Um, Emperor Palpatine. And then you got the prequels with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Just some of the greatest chemistry between Hayden Christensen and Owen McGregor. You have, I mean, and even more villains pop up. Count Dooku, Darth Maul, and they're expanding on later on in the shows. Well, you shut up. I'm explaining my passion. Anyway. And then you have some of the stuff in the sequel trilogy that I think is actually really good. I mean, the actors are really good. The It's shot very well. It's beautiful. And, you know, I can't say that it's all terrible. We're going to defend them one day wink wink uh <laughs> and it's just a mega giant that there's some people who i think just hate it to love to hate it just to piss people off but it's just one of those things i probably destroyed my revenge of the sith disc by watching it so many times it's just one of those things that have been a part of my blood since i was a kid and will continue to be so yeah Fantastic. My number two is Marvel Cinematic Universe, 2008 to present, although I'm mostly talking about 
up to 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, Why do you think I just said Infinity Saga? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my yeah my number two is the MCU on the whole, but really just the Infinity Saga. The rest I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Marvel. This is another one I'm nostalgic for because we grew up in a time where Marvel movies were Fantastic Four, Daredevil, Nicolas Cage, Ghost Rider, Ang Lee's X-Men. Hulk. X Men was. The best one, but hit or miss uh, is Tobey Maguire yeah, yeah. Spider Man. Like there were a couple good ones, but I'm just mean like most Marvel movies, garbage. When we mm-hmm. were kids, so when Iron Man came out, it was refreshing. Like oh, you can do a B tier Marvel character decent. Okay, well let's see if they can keep this up. You probably can't make Hulk cool on camera. Oh, okay, that that was decent. Oh well, no way you're gonna do Thor right. That. That would be really stupid. Oh, oh, that's good. Oh, Captain America? He's, oh, he's so lame. How can you? He's the guy oh, with the frisbee. <laughs> got it. But there's no way you're going to bring this all home. You're not going to combine all these guys in the Avengers. And Oh, okay, sorry. You, you convinced me. In four years, you convinced me. Franchise entertainment will never be the same. They literally change the way Hollywood works. It's not just make a movie. It does well. Get a sequel. That does well. Make more. They do terribly. Stop. <laughs> it's you keep going. You you build an entire network of characters. Captain America and Iron Man, they can both have their own trilogies. Thor can get a quadrilogy. They can meet up in the Avengers every couple years, but it's like doing a TV show in movies. The business plot, the business strategy for the Marvel Cinematic Universe is something that had never been done before. Often emulated, never done as well and i gotta give them props for that but so my respect i get a lot of respect for them for that but the movies themselves were just a major part of the culture at the in those 10 years especially from 2008 to 2019 the infinity saga was you know when we were in high school that was those were like the movies everybody could go to see and everybody agreed on. Oh, well, what's out? What What's good? Marvel movies playing? Sure. So let's go see one of those. And they were generally pretty well liked. I mean, yeah, you know, you had your Age of Ultrons or whatever that weren't necessarily uh, Thor of the Dark Worlds. Some weren't as well received as others. But generally the vibe was good. People liked them. It was just kind of a... And it felt like something for our generation, too, because even stuff like Harry Potter, when that was coming out, we all liked it, but we weren't, it just didn't, it felt a little bit different because it's like, oh, kids liking a movie and it's just like, oh, we, we like it. And that's about as far as it went. But by high school, we kind of, we were old enough to actually have some film criticism aptitude. And we could talk about the movies on a deeper level. We had more comic knowledge lore, so we could just nerd out together talking about these things. Oh, how close is it to the comics? How far off are they? The conversations were more interesting about these than when we were kids. And I just love how it built, too. In the first phase, it was the biggest thing there was like, oh, the Avengers. I can't believe they built up to that. In my endgame, it's like, Oh, well, you just built up 11 years of movies and 22 movies into this giant combination. Well, no wonder it made $2 billion. Avengers Endgame was one of my favorite theater experiences of all time. It was a packed theater. 
and seeing some of the stuff on there, everyone was laughing, crying. Just everyone was super invested. Cheering. Cheering. Like when I'm not going to spoil if you still haven't seen it, but just the ending made me cry. And it was one of the few movies that ever accomplished that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just the vibe was unmatched. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get another movie experience like that where it just felt like a massive culmination of a lot of legitimate hard work and everyone's on the same page. It's, it's going to be very hard to get an event like that again. It just felt like a journey. They, they took me mm-hmm. on an epic journey from 2008 to 2019, and, you know, we're still around. It's still going. It just doesn't feel as integral anymore to to my life or to popular culture, but that was a wild 11-year ride. And I'm, I'm still on board, but... Are you? But it, <laughs> I am, but it's, it's not like those first 11 years. Those first yeah. 11 years I'll always cherish, and it, it was good enough to make it my number two favorite franchise of all time. Mm. And my favorite yeah. film is First Avenger. But you should know that by now. Yes, we know. <laughs> oh my god, I'm closing my window. I don't know how much that's going to change so I've got a stall for Ryan while he's closing his window. I assume his number one is, you know, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't spoil it for you, but I know what it is. I can take a good guess. And he's What'd back. you say? Stalling. <laughs> Goddamn C&E. Just stop. Mm. Anyway. Um, yeah. So process of elimination, my number one is the Lord of the Rings franchise, specifically Peter Jackson. I will not put in Reigns of Power <laughs> like someone I know. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, and yeah, I even like the Hobbit movies as well. I mean, the Lord of the Rings movies are just phenomenal. It's one of the best trilogies of all time. The f- whole fellowship as a whole. I mean, it's just magically well done. The music is amazing. How Peter Jackson was able to adapt probably one of the most impossible things to adapt from book to screen and just have it be this gigantic scale and not only in terms of the world but also the battles i mean in the early 2000s they pioneered so much in terms of visual effects mm-hmm. i mean what a digital is one of the juggernauts but to do mass battles like that they had to write that program from the ground up just absolutely insane i think john Knoll worked worked for Weta and he is one of the creators for Photoshop. Oh yeah. I think it was Weta. Um that's a little tidbit there. But just yeah, I mean I have the freaking sword <laughs> from Lord of the Rings from Return of the King hanging on my wall. It's one of the my favorite. I just love fantasy and I loved how I was never bored watching these movies. I mean I watched the extended edition and I was never bored watching it. It just sucks you in as when it sucked me in as a youth. It sucked me in now as an adult. It just completely transforms you into the world. And it's not even just how it's shot, but also the dialogue. The dialogue is very true to Tolkien and it's makes you stay uh, within the world and makes it believable. It's kind of the same feeling I have with the first few seasons of Game of Thrones and then House of the Dragon as well, where they all still have the dialect of what you would believe would happen in medieval times or in a fantasy world. But yeah, as you said with Lord of the Rings, I mean, just how it was shot, the forced perspective shots as well. 
I mean, juggernauts in acting. He had Elijah Wood, Ian McAllen, Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves? Yeah, that's the right guy, right? No, it's not Christopher Reeves. What is it? Christopher Lee! Idiot, Ryan. Christopher Lee. It was a Christopher. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Circus. I mean, the, they pioneered motion cat or performance capture of a Smeagol. And just so many more. Kate Blanchett just going off the top of my head. Um, I can still hear the planes. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just so influential to me. Just all the different themes between Lord of the Rings. Some of the most quotable, the quote, most quotable trilogy of all time. You got the four hobbits, you got Legolas, you got Aragorn, you got um you got Gandalf, you got Gimli. That's his name. Oh my yeah. god, my brain's breaking. Um there's a couple more. Oh yeah, freaking and Boromir. All the others. <laughs> and then all <laughs> the others. Just an amazing, amazing trilogy that I will never and the only reason it's above Star Wars, I think, is for me is just because of the quality of that first trilogy for me. And just because there's so much of Star Wars for me, I find it hard to put the stuff that's really good over Lord of the Rings because there's some stuff that I don't like in Star Wars that's still there. Um, but they're very close in terms of ranking for me. That's why they're one and two. See, what Lord of the Rings has over Star Wars is that there's not nearly as much of it. Mm-hmm. Star Wars went on yet long enough. <laughs> For to piss people off, Lord of the Rings hasn't quite got there for movies yet. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. People don't like Rings of Power, but that's a show. You don't need to watch the show. People tend to think of movies as separate anyway. Mm-hmm. But my number one, you could probably guess, Star Wars. And Star Wars, well, I guess I'll start by saying that I appreciate how epic a scale this is star wars i think is probably the most epic movie franchise that was created to be a movie basically everything else on this list was either a book adaptation graphic novel adaptation uh maybe spun off from tv shows or or anything else that you might adapt from star wars is i think is the only thing on this list that was actually made to be a movie. There was no other Star Wars before episode four, or to some people, that's just Star Wars. Uh, the first one. The real and, fans. <laughs> yeah. And what George Lucas created with those six movies, there are only six. Just kidding. But I'm mostly talking about six here. What he did with those six movies was nothing short of extraordinary. I think... To George Lucas, a lot of the he cared about the story, but a lot of it was also a, a special effect showcase. How can I push the boundary of filmmaking in general? The techniques that him and his crew had to create just to make these films work. I mean, we watched the uh, Light and Magic documentary. It went and knew a lot of it, which was incredible to see. Just the things they like, even they basically pioneered digital editing, digital filmmaking, uh, model work. They did a lot of crazy stuff on that, computer generated effects, and the list goes on and on and on. But what they had to do to make these movies change the industry. Star Wars is also the movie that changed the industry to be like, oh, wait, you mean merchandise can make more than the movie? 
oh, well, that's that's important to know. Yeah. It made tie-in toys just as important as the plot. Oh, God. Yeah, well, Star Do Wars you toys. Remember, I remember mean, the Force Awakens merchandise just being everywhere? Oh, yeah. Disney made a... back their investment with one movie. <laughs> they probably didn't tell us all the numbers. They bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion. Force Awakens made $2 billion at the box office, but they probably made even more on toys. Yeah. They made back their investment with one movie. So, the movies are hit or miss. You know, the original trilogy is is great. The prequels, I'll defend, but I, I also get why a lot of people have their problems with them. The sequels have a lot of problems. I actually like Rogue One and Solo. Maybe I'm in the minority mm-hmm. there, but they're they're decent one-offs. Uh, but what I'll say about the original six in particular is that even if you don't... Oh, the prequels too. Even if you don't like the prequels, they're all incredibly innovative. I know a lot of people hate on Attack of the Clones in particular, but what... Like, think about the locations and the characters. Everything from, like, Jar Jar Binks to the Kaminoans. Those are really weird characters that you had never before been able to be realized in that way. Or things like Kamino, Geonosis, uh, Tatooine. Well, Tatooine had been around, but, like, Kamino, Geonosis, Coruscant. Those planets had never been able to be realized in that way before. Just those CGI cityscapes. And, and and the car chases and, and stuff. Like it's it's weird to think about now, but those that was groundbreaking at the time. And you still can't find movies with that kind of original thinking. Everything else is so derivative or uninspired or bland, but the Star Wars, the set design and like everything in those movies has so much thought put into it. You go on a Wikipedia, everything's got a massive lore. <laughs> to it you got a, a fan base who cares enough to put all this time I love that you said Wikipedia. I know it's that's what bit, it is yeah. I know <laughs> yeah but you got this fan base that cares enough to put their own time and effort into expanding the story a lot of what Star Wars canon is even now is really just fans who filled in the gaps and then they made it canon mm-hmm. later um there's very few franchises I can think of where the fans have just as much input into what would later become canon than yeah. the creators. It's kind of a, a living, organic thing in that way. Um, but importantly to me, it was the story that inspired me to be a filmmaker in the first place. And I think I've told this story before, but I'll reiterate. Back when I was about seven years old, we had a Phantom Menace DVD. And my brother was enamored by Duel of the Fates, and so much so that he'd ask my mom to put on the DVD every single day. Not the whole movie, (laughs) just Duel of the Fates every single day. And I was into it as a Star Wars fan. I was like, oh yeah, Duel of the Fates. But because I was a few years older than him, I got bored faster. I'm like, okay, this this little kid's just doing... (sighs) And then I started watching it as more critically... I mean, like, you know what? All the elements that come into making this thing, <laughs> like the, the music, the, the set design, the, the big battles, the choreography, the acting, everything is like crafting an awesome scene. I'm like, oh, you know, this is something I want to do. I think I, I want to be a filmmaker. And ever since I was seven years old, that's the path I've been staying on. And then as I got, I got older, I started leaning more into writing. And then I looked at something like A New Hope and, and I realized, you know what? This is a very um 
I don't want to say bare bones, but this is a perfect hero's journey story for how simple it is. And to me, that simplicity mm-hmm. is, it, it, it blew my mind how awesome such a simple story could be. It's very formulaic, but it's done in, with enough flair that it's, it makes something old feel new again. And that inspired me to be like, you know what, this, I, I want to be a screenwriter. This is the kind of story I want to make. Something that is so simple and universal, it can resonate with everybody, but also add my own creativity on top of that. There's, like on a technical level, these movies are brilliant. They're, they're so innovative. And also just the quotes. I can't tell you how many Star Wars quotes I, I use on a daily basis just in my life with friends. It's, it's, a, it's a bonding experience. You know, like one of my favorite pictures I've ever taken was just the other week at Fan Expo. Right. You know, it, we we went to Fan Expo and we met Hayden Christensen and got a and got a picture with him. And in that picture, you got. Oh, there it is. And in that picture, you got my childhood best friend on the far right there. You have Justin, who I've been best friends with since high school. And you have Ryan, who we've been really close the last couple of years. It's like guys from three different eras of my life who never would have known each other. In, in any meaningful capacity, except that we all have a love of Star Wars and all got to share in that experience that day. It, it, it brings people in my life together, so it's very, it's very meaningful mm-hmm. to me. It's at the core of who I am. It changed my trajectory in life to be someone of a, of a creative person into filmmaking industry and writing. So it's very important to me that way and it's just entertaining as well they're just good movies and then you got hayden in the middle your new best friend (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was just something that brings people together and inspires Mm -hmm. so good well that's our list people (laughs) you want to recap yep uh so number 10 the hunger games nine john wick eight planet of the apes circus Seven, Harry Potter. Six, Indiana Jones. Fifth, Rocky slash Creed. Four, DC animated properties. Three, Marvel Infinity Saga slash Spider-Man. Two, Star Wars. And number one, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Ten, Planet of the Apes. Nine, Mad Max. Eight, Toy Story. Seven, Mission Impossible. Six, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth. Five, Indiana Jones. 4. Batman 3. Rocky Creed 2. Marvel Cinematic Universe 1. Star Wars And plug your socials. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed this top 10 list. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the close-up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe, where we do our very best to defend the Star Wars sequels. Till next time. We can do it. (laughs) Take care.